Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in James chapter 5, beginning chapter 5. Last week we talked about the traveling merchants. And as we look at this, uh, they are warned not to make plans without considering the fact that God's already got a plan. I think, again, you've got to decide as we go through this and as we read the text that these merchants are believers. And I would say that James is giving them a warning. In fact, he, he calls, calls their fault and then gives them steps on how they can improve. And that probably is that they are tempted uh, to follow the ways of the oppressive rich. It's like, okay, if we're going to be in this game of the world, we're going to go the same way. We're going to figure out how we're going to do it. And he's saying, no, you as a believer, you're going to say, we've got plans, but the Lord also has plans. So if it be the Lord's will. And remember, the equation was, uh, you don't know what God's plan is, plus you don't know what tomorrow's going to be. And so the results are, you don't know. And again, not a real positive message, but actually that is the way we live life. So we have to live by faith. Now, that was, that was manageable. That was, we can listen to that. We can take correction from that. There was hope in that. Uh, we, can, we can relate to that. You know, we make plans. We got to make sure we consider the fact that God's got a plan and that God's going to take us where he wants us to go. This now goes to the rich landowners. And what we're going to see here is this is very harsh. Uh, I'm going to say as we begin this, and, and you can make some decisions as you go. Of course, there's always hope for everyone. Everyone can, we're talking to them as a group, uh, but I'm sure some, just like on Tuesday night, we talked about <clears throat> when Ezra came back and, and all the Gentiles and, and the unbelievers were living in the land, they were rejected. They couldn't help with the temple, but we do see that some individuals may have come over and separated themselves from the way. So again, the, our individual rich landowner may himself repent and come to the Lord. But I think as a, as a whole, these are unbelievers. These are people that are, in a sense, hopeless. They are, they've chosen the ways of the world. They are oppressing uh, the poor, uh, including the believers. And this is going to be a very harsh. It has the sound, James is writing like an Old Testament prophet. And when an Old Testament prophet were to address, you know, the Assyrians or Jerusalem uh, in, in Jeremiah's day, or you know what at Nineveh or whoever it was a harsh coming down it's over and that is what is being said to these people so these are two uh, separate rebukes of two different groups of people and if you look on your notes you can see right here I'm going to read through chapter one or chapter five verses one through eighteen um, and what we have is a breakdown here chapter five verses one through six that we're going to look at today is this is discussing the oppression, the oppression of the uh, rich believers. Now, the reason this is written, if he's talking to unbelievers, this would be one, a fair question. Well, if he's talking to unbelievers, why is he putting this in the letter? They're not going to like, hey, do you have that letter from James? We'd like to read it. Uh, he's putting it in here for two reasons. One is so the, the believers can see, just especially if they've considered the traveling merchants and trying to participate in the, the game, the merchant game, is there's no future here. This, this is temporal. It, their, their wealth is already being destroyed. It's already being right. It's already been judged, their behavior. So do not be tempted to go this way. This is this one of the reasons why James is putting this in here, is do not follow these people. The other reason is they are being oppressed. It is a real oppression. They are suffering. It's going to be said, as we get through to verse 5 and 6, 
uh, that they are, they've been condemned and they've been murdered by the oppressors. So the rich have condemned in the court systems the believers or the poor, and they have murdered them. Now we'll talk about what that means when we get there. And it does mean, you know, it just how does the process work? It means what it says, but how, how did it take place? Are they out like shooting people? Uh, no, they're, they're oppressing them and leading to their destruction. Um, but besides don't follow them, the other reason it's in here is that uh, to be patient, meaning they, they are not getting away with this. It looks like, and this, this is life, it looks like they're escaping. It looks like they're getting away. It looks like they've beat the system. But the God, in fact, is referred to as the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty or the Lord of armies, an Old Testament reference to the Lord as being the defender, the deliverer, the military, one who engages in military warfare for Israel, the Lord of hosts is going to be with the poor. So you be patient. The Lord of hosts is going to deliver you, and he's going to crush the oppressor. That's not your job. That's the Lord's job. So one, don't copy them. Number two, be patient. The Lord has this under control. And again, that's, that's hard to understand. But it leads to the next point uh, after chapter one. <coughs> Chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 talks about the oppressor, and the Lord of hosts is going to deal with them. It will end with that in chapter uh, 5, verse 5 and 6. Then chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 is the final explanation on how the believers should face the opposition. Okay, so if we're not supposed to copy them, and the Lord's got it under control, he will bring them judgment. Their, their, their wealth is already rod. The moths are already eating up their clothing. It's, it's over for them. Their, their flesh will be eaten by fire in judgment. Okay, well, that sounds good. But what do we do? Well, or in this case, what do they do? And of course, it applies to all ages. 7 through 12 is now going to be the action. What kind of action do we take? And this is, this is where, this is advice for us today. But this is also direction for us today in whatever situation we find ourselves in. When you're in the world and you know you can't play the same game as the world is playing, the lying, the deceiving, the, the accumulating wealth, like you're going to get so much wealth that you'll never have any problems. Uh, how, how do you face this opposition? And that's going to be uh, verses 7 through 12, and I'll just read what I've got written here, and then I'm going to read through these verses. Um, the final explanation on how believers should face opposition from the non-believer oppression. This is how James thinks believers should face this opposition from their oppressors and this has been something he's been talking about since chapter one this is we're wrapping up the the book here in chapter five and so he's not going to be introducing a bunch of new thoughts in fact he's going to be almost the things he's been alluding to in chapters one through four he's going to now be very making a very clear point on how they would apply this and that would be uh, these verses provide the proper response to trials of oppression and exploitation. So what do we do in the face of oppression and ex- exploitation? And now this is interesting because uh, there, there's a balance. It, it, it's, a, it's a pendulum uh, in, in a place. It's like we go back to uh, last week, making plans. So you're making plans and you says you should not say we're going to go to this or that city. We're going to make this kind of money. We're going to do this. It's like, no, no. Well, the, the answer is not we're not going to make any plans. Well, you've got to make plans but you've also got to include the ideal of the Lord. The Lord also has a plan, and so if it's the Lord's will, we're going to do these things. So the answer is, uh, they're making plans, and they're going to have all these details, they're going to make all this money, and God says, don't, don't be saying that. Oh, okay, so I'm not going to make any plans. 
well know now in the book of Proverbs that rejects you because you need a plan. You need to be prudent. You got to have, so there's this, this pendulum. And the same thing here, in the face of opposition or exploitation, it's like, well, you know, I'll just lay down and get trampled by the world. It's like, well, that, 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 that's not the answer. We're just going to lay down and just put up with it. But uh, we're going to fight back. We're going to also make money, and we're going to become oppressors ourselves. We're going to fight back. We're going to burn the fields we're supposed to be harvesting. It's like, no, 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 no. James is also warning them against violence, their bad speech, even their own attempts at murder. Is no, you've got to come over here. So we're just going to put up with it? Well, no, there's going to be somewhere here in the middle that you've got to find. You can't just t- you know, uh, retaliate but you can't just give up. And then that comes into the ideal of, even as a culture, when you face cultural oppression, uh, I mean, like, like the American Revolution. I mean, this is, a, I always go back to this because it's like, well, we should just, you know, obey the government, follow the rules, and, and don't rebel. Well, if they had done that with the British, there would never be an America. Just, we would, there's a point where you've got to fight back, but when do you fight back? <laughs> and James is giving these believers here the directions. Now, they are in a position where they are probably, what we'd say, in a fourth generation situation. They're being devoured by the, the, the elite. And we see the prophets will have several references to this. But this is the action, and this is the, where we should begin. Uh, the action that they take is, is they're, they're being oppressed and exploited. And James is going to say in chapters, chapter 5, verse 7 through 12, is patience and endurance. You're going to need to be patient and you're going to need to be enduring, hupomone. Uh, and again, that sounds like, well, you just lay down and get rolled over, but you're going to continue to do the right thing. You're going to continue to act in righteousness. So there's going to be other things you're going to do, but you are definitely not going to come back and fight the oppressors. And that is what this group is wanting to do. They're wanting to fight back. They're wanting to lash out. In fact, some of the, if this is one congregation of Jewish believers or if there are several that are receiving this letter. Uh, there appear to be several, because he says not many of you should desire to be teachers because the teacher will be judged more severely. So there's more than one person teaching in this group. So if it's one large group of people, or if it's several community groups, there are probably what we'd say teachers that are calling for action. They're, they're going the way of the zealots. They're call, we're going to fight back. We can't put up with And you can hear this even in in sermons and if bible teachers uh, you, you listen to someone teaching the bible or they're giving a message and and you know they're going to you know i do it myself you're going to reflect your opinions and i would assume in this group right here there are those calling for violent action because this is the fourth generation and if you're a child of the fourth generation and if you're a preacher in the fourth generation you're going to think like the fourth generation that's where you have to renew your mind come back to the word of god and don't just be an echo chamber for what everybody else is calling for you know we're going to riot we're going to burn things down we're going to protest it's like okay are you sure that's what everybody else is doing that's what we do in the fourth generation it's like whoa whoa what should, what should we be doing? And, and James is talking about patience and endurance in the midst of this. And again, I'm going to read those verses real quickly. You can hear them. And then the, the last part is chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. After, after you've applied this patience and endurance, he's going to now start talking about prayer. You're going to go to God in prayer. Now, this patience and endurance includes living righteously, uh, it would be like, that would be where you would apply the love. You become a servant to all. You're not self-centered. You're not trying to get your piece of the pie here. Of course, 
obviously these people are going to work. They're working in someone's field, so they're trying to take care of their families. They're trying to provide for their own needs, if it be food, shelter, clothing. They're trying to have provisions, so they're out being active. They're just in a very difficult situation where they're getting, in a sense, ripped off. And they're being drugged into court by the, by the, the, the society, by the culture. Well, they're supposed to be patient and endure, trusting God. Because the whole book is about if your patience and endurance is you are, it's going to have a work. It's going to bring you to completion. It's going to bring you to maturity. So you learn in the, in the place of opposition, you live with patience and endurance. Yeah, but how are we going to get our piece of the pie? How are we going to get our fair share? Where are we going to have, have, have vengeance? It's like, wait, these oppressors are getting their stuff today. They're, they're rich and wealthy today, but it's already passing away. You may be suffering, but be patient and endure, continue in righteousness, continue in selflessness, because you're building something of what we'd say the Christian character. You're building, and this is, I mean, you talk to this about um, to, to Westerners or Americans or talk to me. It's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in becoming Christ-like, but I'm also interested in having, you know, like, food and and a nice house and a nice green yard you know i want a running vehicle and and james is in a sense bypassing that not you know they're going to work they're trying to get their provisions but he says something bigger is happening here than you having a nice house and having a green yard and automobiles that run your patience and endurance is building a character in fact he's going to say we consider those blessed who have to endure because you're being transformed and it, it's like, what, who, it's like uh, uh, trying to teach a kid math in second grade. I mean, who wants to learn this? When are we ever going to learn math? When are we going to ever need to learn how to read? Can we just have recess? It's like, uh, and that's kind of me. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, in my, my uh, lifespan of eternity, I'm in that, I'm still in the second or third grade, and I'm more interested in recess than learning how to read. I mean, when will I ever need to read? When will I ever need to use this math? Can we just go play out in the playground? And James is looking way down, not just into adulthood, but into eternity. And anything that these oppressors are taking from you, you continue in righteousness and love, Christ-like character. This persecution, this opposition is building in you a character. You're the one that's blessed. In the future, you're the one that's going to be able to read and do math in eternity while these people... Their flesh is going to be eaten by fire because of all the oppression, all the wealth they hoarded for themselves. This is where we're going. So again, it, it is kind of on that, that, that pendulum of like for, forsake today and look to the future. But of course, you can't just, you know, just go out and get trampled on. You're going to have to go to work. You're going to have to have some kind of a plan. But anyway, that's the action. Well, once you apply this, this next part here, chapters five or, chapter 5, verse 13 to 18, is going to be prayer. When I write here, it's a, it's a call to prayer, follows the response of patience and endurance. These verses provide the proper response to trials of sickness and suffering. So this is the response to the oppressors. And once you respond with patience and endurance, you go to prayer, walk with God, but also you're going to, even in this case, you're going to face life, sickness and suffering, and the proper response is going to be confession of sin after the self-examination and then prayer. And of course, Chapter 5, verse 13, 18 is probably sometime in August before we get there, so don't get too concerned. I'm going to read out of the NIV. I've got the English Standard Version on the notes. I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, which is only uh, 
two verses away from the end of the book, so I'll probably read all of chapter 5. We have to decide what we're going to do with verse 19 and 20. Uh, I mean, you can squeeze it up with verse 18, or it may be like a separate closing, but we'll talk about that as we go. But here's chapter 5, and we're looking at this right here. First, the oppressors are going to be addressed. Then once the oppressors are addressed, and it's being written so believers can hear it, so that you don't follow them and know that God is going to take care of this, well, what do we do while we're waiting for the Lord to take care of this? You do this, chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. You're going to have, to have patience and endurance. Blessed are those who can do this. And then, once you've got that in place, you're going to need to pray about the other issues you've got so that God can strengthen you. Here we go, chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming up on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Okay, that's verses 1 through 6. Now, that's the address of the oppression. Now, okay, so what do we do? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming to do what? Judge the oppressors. See right there? It's like, be patient the Lord's coming. When, when, when's he coming? Well, the coming is in reference to he's coming to judge your oppressors. You don't, point right there, you don't judge them. Be patient. The Lord is coming. He just says the Lord Almighty is coming. Um, <clears throat> be patient then, brothers. And see, notice he says brothers, so now he's addressing the Christians directly. You know, in chapter 5, listen, you rich. Now chapter 5 or 7, brothers, here's how you respond to your oppressors. And again, this, this would be useful for us today in any situation we find ourselves in as far as being under oppression. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You know, meaning life history is a season. We're, we're, in, we're not in harvest season yet. Harvest season is coming when the Lord returns. So just wait for the harvest. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, again, that Lord's coming, that's an eschatological reference. But, you know, we're already passed into the age of eschatology in the sense that the Christ has already come with a promise of leaving and coming back. So we're already in that age, so we're waiting for the second coming. But this Lord's coming in this culture, and we'll talk about it more when we get there, at this time in this culture, uh, the Lord's coming could be not the end of the age, but the end of this fourth generation in Israel meaning 70 A.D., the fall, the, when Rome comes in and pushes, because they're, they're right there, they're pushing. These are the oppressors of the fourth generation in, say, 45 A.D. So, you know, within, you know, 20 years, they've, they've started a revolt against Rome. Maybe they, they, can't, they can't think clearly. So, James may be referring, and Jesus himself said that was going to take place. This generation will not pass away until they see the destruction of the temple. And James is saying, the Lord's coming is near. He's going to, now again, they don't know any more than we do, that if this destruction of Jerusalem is the, the ending of the fourth generation of Israel in 70 AD and the coming of the Christ, the second coming, or is that just the overthrow of that culture and then we reset and move on to another cycle? 
Same thing, you know, we're looking at our culture, it's like, oh, it looks like we're living in the end times. Of course, people have said that for 2,000 years because it's been true for 2,000 years. Somewhere in the world, it looks like we're living in the end times. God overthrows the culture, everything collapses, it gets reset, and there's no Messiah. And we cycle back through. So we are in a similar situation, potentially, in a fourth generation. And when this generation falls, when America collapses, it's over. We're into the kingdom age. That those are two different events. We're going to have America is going to go through its cycle of, of its relevance in history, and when it ends, it may be the second coming of the Messiah, or it may end. Someone else will move in, reset the nation, and history will continue for another two thousand years. And again, well, what do you think? It, well, I can think and have opinions, but Jesus says very clearly, you don't know. So the very fact, I mean, whenever you say, "Here's what I think." You have to include with that when we talk about the end times, <coughs> the idea that, but it hasn't been revealed. I don't know. I've got my charts. I've got my guesses, <coughs> but I don't have the answer book. I, I don't know. And so James is in a similar situation. The end of this culture could be the return of Christ, or the end of the culture could just be the end of the culture. Jesus resets history, and, and we move on. Okay. You to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So again, if we put that in the fourth generation context, don't you join in this culture and be grumbling against each other. The very judge that is coming back to judge the oppressors in this generation is standing at the door, and if you get out of line, you're going to light up yourself for this judgment, if it be generational or if it be eschatological. Okay, that's uh, chapter, uh, uh, okay, verse, okay, I'm still in this section right here, sorry, verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, now I give you two examples, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So if you want to say Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Micah. As you know, we consider, here's the line, we consider blessed those who have persevered. The answer is, these people are not blessed. Who is blessed? These people not because they're oppressed, but they're blessed because they endure in the oppression. They in patient endurance, hupomone, they stand up and continue to perform righteousness, selflessness, living a godly life under per, uh, oppression. Again, you're not going to be blessed just because you're oppressed. I'm oppressed, God is going to bless me. Well, not if you grumble against each other, not if you have a bad attitude. I mean, you're, you're going to line up over here for judgment. You're just part of the world. But if you can rise out of your op oppression and continue to trust God, live righteously, it says it right here. It says, uh, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. We do not consider blessed those who have been oppressed. We consider blessed those who have been persevering in oppression. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He sees this. He wants to reconcile this. He's full of mercy and compassion. Now, uh, wait, I got one reverse. Above all, brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or earth by, or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, <clears throat> or you will be condemned. And that would probably be in, the, in these people trying to be patient and endure under oppression is taking oaths or making promises that they cannot keep, meaning uh, they owe money, uh, they're, they, they're, I, I'll pay it tomorrow, give me, give me a loan, or, and they're, they're, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll fix this. It's like, no, no, 
you just say, yeah, you're going to live righteous, be selfless, be patient during, uh, can you pay the money? No, I don't have any money. I am broke. You've taken everything I've got. I have nothing. Instead, take an oath. No, but I promise I will. And now you're, you're, you're playing into this system here where you're, you're swearing to the oppressors that I'm going to sign a contract. I will agree. I will. It's like, and now you're going to double your, now it's going to cycle back and you can't keep your oath because you said, instead of saying, no, I don't have money. It's like, no, but if I swear, I will have it by, and then you said a day, and then they're going to put interest on it. They're going to ask for a double, you know, whatever it is. And you're going to compound your problem. You're, you're not being patient. You're not enduring. You're trying to play the game. You're trying to compromise. Again, that's where, see where that verse is at? <clears throat> if, if, if he's just writing Proverbs, don't do this, do this, make sure you do this. Here's another little thought here. Oh, by the way, make sure you, you know, cook your meat thoroughly. You know, and it's just giving you all these little home advice tips. Then you can't do that. But if this is, is flowing, a thought, right here at this point, you're being oppressed, you're being patient. Dur- now listen, in this place of being patient, endurance, don't be making promises. You go right back to the traveling merchant. Tomorrow, we're going to go to this city. We're going to do this kind of deal. We're going to make this kind of money. Well, now here, under the oppression, you're not a traveling merchant. You don't have any money, but, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It's like, you don't know what you're going to do. Do you have the money? No. Do you have the money? Yes. It's like, don't be making vows or oaths. Again, it seems like that would be the way we look at it. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. Not necessarily condemned by God, but you're going to be condemned by the oppressors because you don't know what's going to happen. Chapter 3, now we go into uh, the last part about prayer right here. Follow all this up. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Again, there's that, that, the, the sinning within the community. Uh, make sure you have good relationships and then go to God for prayer and he'll restore you. The prayer of a right... Now, there is a difference here between the suffering of sickness and the suffering of oppression. There, there is there's a, 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 a distinction there. Um, now we're talking about prayer. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. <clears throat> Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And that's the end, if we were going to stop at verse 18. That's your three sections. And now we've got two more verses. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Again, now notice he's talking, my brothers, if one of you should wander to this group of believers, if one of you should wander up here with the oppressors or wander into some other sinful air, if someone can restore you, you'll cover over a multitude of, of, of sins and uh, save you from death. And so again, that's talking about the believers right there. And that's how the book ends. And again, you'd, you'd like to see <clears throat> some kind of a, uh, you know, closing. This is James, you know, uh, greetings. Uh, I'll be visiting, you know, next week, next month or something. Uh, but he just like, 
closes cold turkey like that, which is, you know, fine, but I kind of want to see some kind of personal signature. Okay. Any questions on that? That kind of understands the flow of that. Again, you don't have to accept that at all, but that seems to be the way this is going. Uh, on the first page of the notes, um, I think point two, I pointed that out. That's the, the, the two groups. The merchants were uh, believers. The landowners were unbelievers or are unbelievers. Uh, and there's your two reasons, point B, one and two. The believers are warned not to follow their example, and the believers are encouraged to continue in patient endurance. Um, James tells the believing Jewish communities how to respond to the arrogance. That's the whole point of this. How do you respond to these people? You're, don't, you're, they have a chance of doing it wrong or doing it right. <clears throat> if, they, if they say, and one of the things that's going to come up here in just a moment is uh, speech is a big deal in this whole thing is they can end up saying, and the speech reveals the heart. And so the things they're saying against their oppressors or their plans is revealing their heart, which is either following God, enduring, or it's speaking you know, violence or aggression or something. So speech is coming up. Uh, the, next, the little box right there is point four. Just you, you can see it in your own text, but there's the, the, the two similarities, uh, beginning talking to the merchants, and then talking to the landowners, they both begin with, you see in the Greek and you see in the English, come now, you who say, chapter 4, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 1, come now, you rich. So again, that's the word, uh, come now, I mean, let's come listen, come reason, come look at this situation. So again, the first case would be those who are probably believers, tempted to go into becoming a traveling merchant, making plans. Come now, you who say this, think about this. This is not the way the Christian should live. You need to make this correction. And then to the rich, come now, you rich, uh, your game's already over. You've, you've got all this wealth piled up. Here's all of your wealth that you're preparing for what? It, it's just got, you've got more than you can ever spend. It's already being eaten by moths. <clears throat> it's already wearing out. What do you think is going to happen to it in eternity? Meanwhile, over here, the people you're making your money from are dying because you're oppressing them. Uh, chapter, or point five, the situation captures the meaning and application of the points of doctrine stated in the opening chapters. Uh, these are just some things that, are, that we've seen throughout the book. Uh, bottom page one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or produces steadfastness. Uh, and let, the low, the brother, uh, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, chapter one, verse nine, and then... Uh, also, chapter 1, blessed is a man who remains steadfast. So there's three references. You're blessed if you're under opposition and you can endure. And then in here, point D, chapter 5, verse 11, it says very clearly, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he starts off saying you need to be steadfast. He's gone all the way through the book. He says, now, if you're still standing, you are the blessed one. Not this rich man. See the contrast. This rich man, you say, oh, I want to be like the rich man. No, 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 you don't. This is the kid that's at recess in the entire educational system. When it gets into eternity, they won't be able to read, they won't be able to write, they won't be able to, to do math. They're, <coughs> they're completely incompetent. Point six. Three of James' main themes are combined here. And the three themes that we've seen throughout this book are wealth, which refers to possessions and property, persecution, which involves oppression and injustice, and then speech. And the speech is going to be either correct or wrong speech, uh, which indicates your heart. 
Um, I've got three things written down here on the problems presented here. Seeking wealth can lead to wrong speech. And the error, what we just saw in chapter 4 last week, come now you who say tomorrow we will go and do this. Because you're saying something wrong, it indicates your heart is in the wrong place. And the correction, instead you ought to say, this is how you should speak. Make this correction, if it be the Lord's will. Uh, Then facing persecution. That's the second point. Uh, Leads to wrong speech. Chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, The correction, instead of taking these oaths and making these vain promises that's going to get you in trouble, you should be patient, which means forbearance and long-suffering, and steadfast, hupomone, which again is another word for perseverance. And point three, Seeking God's will concerning wealth and persecution will lead to correct speech. And there are f- three things written down there, and I've got them underlined. And these are the things that the believer should, these are the things you should or should not be saying. Again, these are not things that uh, are like rituals that are meaningless. If it's coming out of your mouth, Jesus says, it reveals you out of the mouth, the abundance of the heart is revealed. And so, chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against each other. Brothers, so that you may not be judged, behold, the judge is standing at the door. So do not start infighting because you're oppressed on the outside. Stop grumbling. Chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear. We've already seen that several times. Do not swear, take oaths. That you're not solving problems by making promises that you can't, you can't predict the future, you can't go there. Don't be making these oaths. Just yes or no, can you do it? No, I can't. Or yes, I can or uh, chapter 4, verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil uh, against the law, and we've talked about that. Other parallels, uh, the unjust rich. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Chapter 1, verse 10, the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, <clears throat> he will pass away. <clears throat> so again, going back to chapter 1, the rich man is currently passing away meaning oh look how powerful he is yeah but look every day he's getting older every day the hoarding of his wealth it, it's it's becoming more worthless it's aging so the the rich man chapter one is passing away chapter five verse one through two that we're starting with today come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted so now the riches have passed away so this is the rich man he's passing away all of his riches are passing away and we're going into eternity and what's he got zero he's not even there there's nothing don't let this temporal world deceive you and again it's so hard because that's all we see and that's why the word of god is important it helps us to get a perspective And again, he can come up with a million examples of, of making that point. Uh, point on page two then. Am I on page two? Oh, I'm on the bottom of page two. Okay, turn the page. Yeah. Uh, point C on page three at the top, patient endurance. And that's just talking about something we've already explained. Uh, point eight, Paul's letter has, he's an Old Testament prophet. The, these, the staccato, the, the, the commentators kept using the word staccato. When we get through these, these phrases, there, there's no, uh, 
they're not they're just short sentences and there's no conjunctions it's just like these are the things that are wrong and he's like a, an old testament prophet just listing off the problems with the rich and it parallels we'll see several verses parallels some of the old testament prophets it also has an apocalyptic tune, tone to it meaning apocalyptic talking about the end times and so he's right here james takes on the old testament prophet and uh the ideal of the end times, uh, the apocalyptic te text, like if it be, you know, Daniel or one of the writings of, of Enoch or something. And so he's combining these things together, getting people ready for the end. All right, now, point nine, and then we're going to go through the, the whole uh, verses one through six today. But here's a breakdown of what we're looking at today. Chapter five, verse one is the opening warning. Uh, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming. Talking to the rich. You should be weeping and howling. Those are directly words taken out of the prophets. Whenever the prophet would talk to Nineveh or Assyria or Babylon or whatever country they were condemning, the weeping and howling or weeping and wailing were the words. You, you do, you're looking good today, but you should be weeping because if you know what was coming in the future. And then here comes the uh, short, chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, short, sharp staccato-like statements describing the lifestyle of the rich. Here's, here's what their life. They have riches. They have garments. They have gold and silver. <clears throat> they have treasures that are laid up. This list continues in verse 5. If you drop down to verse 5, they've lived in luxury, they've lived in self-indulgence, and they've fattened their hearts. So they've got riches, garments, gold, silver, and they've laid up treasure. They're living in luxury, they're living in self-indulgence, meaning they've got everything they want, and they're just trying to figure out another way to enjoy more of what they've got. Uh, they ha their whole focus is on today. How do I get more so I can enjoy more right now today? And their, their, their vision is so, as you would say, very elementary. <clears throat> but yet the world looks at them and says, that's who we want to be. And he says, you fattened your hearts. And he's going to say, in the, in the day of slaughter... I mean, they're almost like animals being prepared for slaughter. And so there's, there's no thought to it except for their self-satisfaction. Then, uh, and it also talks about, uh, it compares each of the riches have rotted, the garments are moth-eaten, the gold and silver have corroded or rusted, we'll look at that word, and the treasures that they've laid up are going to end up being part of their judgment. And the word is going to be used in there, I don't know if I got it in this part right here, uh, all these things are testimonies against them. Uh, it's going to be evidence. So we, you have all this stuff. That, the only thing it's going to be good for is on the day of judgment is evidence that you were a failure. But look how much I've got. And you've just hoarded it. Now, now again, the ideal here is not, and you've got to be careful, once again, it's not bad to be rich. The idea is that they're rich <clears throat> with the intention of getting richer, with the intention of just keeping and using as much as they can instead of like, using their wealth for some benefit, especially when they have this over for themselves. And as they're getting this, they're just crushing other people, destroying people's lives. It's one thing to have riches and then use it for, you know, whatever kind of purpose, you know, advancement of society or helping other people or whatever you're doing with it. I mean, who can judge that? But James is judging these people because their only intention is self-indulgence while they're crushing other people. <clears throat> and... They've got so much, it's not like they're ever going to use it all. Well, we've got to make sure we're prepared for the future. Uh, I think you are. I mean, your life is not that long. You've got more than enough. Meanwhile, these people's lives are over. Just throw them a few crumbs and their life will continue. 
Um, so that's their, their, their statement there. Okay, point five four c five four. The oppression of the laborers has reached the ears of God, and that's going to be said two different ways. God has heard the cries, and he's heard two things. He's going to hear the cry of the wages that haven't been paid, and he's going to hear the cries of the laborers who are perishing. And when it reaches God's ears, when you ever see in the Bible the cries, if it was the slaves in Egypt crying out, God heard their cry and remembered, he came and act. If it's Sodom and Gomorrah, God heard, went down to sea. <clears throat> when God hears these things, it means judgment is coming. And then 5-6, based on the facts, the evidence, this is the evidence that's going to be against them. The labors are treated unjustly, and the rich have more than they will ever need. So the evidence that is mounted up, here's the rich, it's like, okay, you've got all this riches, but the evidence, I'm looking over here, and these people are crying out because you've got all their stuff. That's evidence that you are wicked. And then we look at your pile of stuff, you've got more stuff than you'll ever need. There's more evidence against you. You've been judged by all these things that are evidence against you. And the verdict, the rich have condemned innocent people and have murdered, and we'll talk about how they have condemned and murdered other people. So here we go, chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> In the English Standard Version on the bottom of page 3, very simply, we've already addressed it, come now, you rich. Drawing attention, it's, it's an alert call, come now, you rich. And he tells them, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And again, weep, howl, or weep, wail, whatever, are Old Testament prophets. That, that is, again, we're writing to a Jewish community. Now, these could be Gentiles that are oppressing them. It could be Jews. But the Old Testament prophets, this is the very voice they used when they spoke to pagan nations, uh, meaning it's, it's over. And the misery that is coming on you. They, they, ha they don't know misery. They've got so much money, they're buying their way out of misery. They're trying to avoid all kinds of misery. But the more they try to avoid misery here, you're heaping it up for the coming misery. And they may be laughing and enjoying life here, but the misery that is coming, and you should be weeping and howling for what is coming on you. Again, that's, that's clearly James in an Old Testament prophet voice. Chapter 5, verse 2. Here he begins to listen. I've, got, I've combined five and, uh, chapter, uh, verse 2 and verse 3 together here. Three types of possessions, riches, clothing or garments, and money. Uh, riches, of course, could be anything. Uh, the clothes, the word is garments, it doesn't just mean a lot of clothes, although that would be the case. These are fine garments, garments that you'd wear to demonstrate your wealth. I mean, you've got so much wealth. I, how do I let people know I've got so much wealth? Ah, I'll wear these kind of clothes. And you wear clothes that clearly you must be very wealthy. So their garments are a testimony to their wealth, to the society. But also they've got so much of it, it's going to end up becoming a problem. And uh, the money, which is gold and silver, both gold and silver. Uh, three ways these possessions are lost in time. And all three of these are nothing. I mean, it, today, each of us would want riches, garments, and money. But in the plan, <clears throat> God's plan of Christianity, of your life, it's like when evaluation comes, it's going to be what you did with these things. It's not how much you've got. And they've got a lot, but they've done nothing with it except indulge themselves. So, riches, clothing, money, it's all useful. You can do a lot of things with it, but it's got to be what you do with it, not how much you have. And these people are focused on having it and then enjoying it and indulging themselves. Again, nothing wrong with enjoying life. Paul even writes Timothy and tells him, 
you know, God has created these things that we, we should enjoy them, what we eat, what we participate in. God, God has created life. And so there's, you don't need to be an ascetic to be a Christian, but you do need to understand the difference between heaping these things and trying to just indulge yourself with them and being able to have them and also use them and the benefits of what they can do. Uh, but all of these are already passing away. They all lost the time. And this lost the time can refer to ultimately in the future they're going to be lost, or it could mean they're already being lost. You, you know, we know what it's like, probably. Uh, I've saved clothes. Tony wants to go through my closet all the time. And now, again, you see my garments. You can watch them on the videotape. I've got, like, 12 shirts, you know. It's like, and some of them go back 5, 10 years. It's like, that's the same shirt he had on when he was 53. It's like, yeah, okay, and I've got nice clothes. I'm not complaining. But you do know that when they hang in your closet, <laughs> eventually it's kind of like <laughs> they've worn out. It's like... I don't think we've got moths in our closet, but <coughs> Tony would hope not. But we do have clothes that are just wearing out. I mean, it's like you've got to get rid of the Stop wearing this in public. In fact, <coughs> I probably do the opposite. Instead of looking at how wealthy I am, it's kind of like, good night, put a decent shirt on, Galen. Or Tony's, since I stopped teaching shop, she bought me some new pants that, I, that aren't snagged or stained. I've got direct, I can only wear them on Sunday mornings or to Bible <laughs> studies. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's like she's got a little boy, you know, it's like, here's what you can wear, here's what you can, she lays out my clothes, you know, and, you know, if I wear something on the wrong day, it's like, what are you doing in those, so, uh, but the idea there is we know what it's like to have things wear out, so ultimately in time, it's all going to pass away, but even today, if, if I just keep hoarding all the clothes I had since the 70s, and I would have tried if I wasn't married, um, they would have worn out. I mean, they're just, they're just, just hanging there. They're, they're falling apart. And so these people have so many things. It's not just that they're going to pass away in eternity. You've got so much stuff. It's rotting. It's being moth-eaten even while we talk about it. You've got so many clothes. You can't wear them all. And so that's the ideal here. Uh, the verb rotted is in the perfect tense, meaning the act of rotting is complete, and the completed action has brought into the, uh, of the being a state of affairs. So the way we are today is already the result of what this verb did. The rotting, and here we are today, because all these clothes are rotted, we're in this state today. And so meaning it's already taken place. Moth-eaten, which is interesting because uh, Jesus addresses this, and we'll compare it to James' words here in a moment. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And notice those words, moth and rust. I mean, you can just hear Jesus and James' teaching. James is just building on what Jesus had taught. And Jesus is building on what the prophets said. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy. And so there's that, that correlation. You hear, have it here, you're going to lose it. But you have the ability as a human, you have the ability to take these worldly possessions, these worldly treasures, and start laying them up in heaven. You're not going to be able to take your gold to heaven. That's where you always think of that story about the guy who wanted to take a chunk of gold to heaven. You remember that story? It's, it's, it, I shouldn't do this. I don't have time. It's the only Christian joke I know. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, it's not biblically accurate, but it's a joke. Uh, I'm trying to build up my, my audience base online, tell jokes. Uh, <coughs> but this guy got to the pearly gates, and Peter's there, and he's got a chunk of gold, you know, uh, and he goes, uh, okay, I take this into heaven. And he goes, why did you bring concrete? 
or pavement, I should say. Why'd you bring pavement? Because the streets are made of glass. See, I can't even tell a joke. Uh, don't try. It's really funny, though, if you tell it right. But anyway, he, he showed up with gold, and when Peter asked him, he gets there, he's like, why'd you bring pavement to heaven? Because, you know, he goes to the pearly gates, all the streets are made of gold. It'd be like taking a chunk of concrete to heaven. And so anyway, okay. A moment that was lost. Okay. I guess the only thing funny about my jokes is my inability to tell the joke. <laughs> not laughing at, at my joke, you're laughing at me. Okay, anyway, Jesus says that, Isaiah says, chapter 51, verse 8, <clears throat> For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. So there's the comparison. Righteousness, if you can use your wealth, your possessions, your garments, your, your temporal life for righteousness, it will last forever. So you can convert, in a sense, your wealth into righteous deeds, but those righteous deeds would be helping others. In this case, those who are weeping and wailing, you should be giving to those that you're crushing and helping them out. Uh, rusted is a, there's a just, the word is used twice, rusted and rust, comes from ios. Uh, it can mean to rust down. The first word can mean to rust down or tarnish. Or it can mean rust, also means poison, rust, or venom, which is interesting because it's going to say, talk about, uh, will testify and burn your flesh like fire. Instead of just rusting, it can, you almost make that, it becomes like a venom that begins to infect your flesh. Uh, and there's the, that's used in Psalm 140, verse 3. We're not going to pursue that any longer. But there is a, a problem when they talk about gold and silver rusting because it really can't rust. But what c- can happen, it, it can be a metaphor. But it can also, if it would be impure, the impure metals within the gold of James's day, those particles would corrode or they could rust and it would uh, not have the same appearance. So it could be the metals there. But the idea there is that it's, it's wearing away. <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 3. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. I, I put those gold and silver up in the previous discussion. But here it says, their corrosion will be evidence against you. And that very fact that it's corroding, that it's wearing away here in time, is evidence against you, meaning in the court case, this is going to be the evidence that is presented. So we're the same word where we get the word martyr from, a witness. The fact that they've got this heaped up, and they're not using it, they're just collecting it, and you're not using it for gold, is evidence against your, your wickedness. The, the, that is the reason for your weep, weeping and wailing in the future, because you just took every, all this po- possibility and just put it here for yourself, and it is evidence against you, and, you, and right here, and will eat your flesh like fire. And that's where it's interesting with the word, with the word rust could be also venom, which you can see, like I said, in Psalms 104, it's translated venom, the same word in the Hebrew. Um, and it, like a venom would be eating or infecting your flesh. And it says you have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, several commentators have pointed this out, that we're clearly when it says the last days, it's talking about the eschatological, you know, in the Old Testament, New Testament, the last days are the end time days. Uh, but it's, it's, it's worth referencing. It could, if you take out the theology, take out the concept of the last days, you have laid up treasures for the last days, which would be you've laid up your retirement's account for your last days. And so that's worth looking at. But again, that's, you know, you've laid up treasures for your retirement fund. 
and I think that would be planning ahead. But it could be read that way where they've laid up too much for their retirement. But I don't think that's the case, and neither do the commentators. You're saying that's, that's a way of looking at it. In your lifespan, you've laid up treasures for your last days of your life. But in the big picture, we're talking about the last days. You've laid up treasure in the last days, and this treasure is going to uh, end up being evidence against you. In fact, you can see that on page 5. Evidence against you or a testimony against you, martyrion. Same word, it says like, you know, the word witness. Um, and I point out here, again, point two on page five, the consistency of Jesus and James. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. James says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. And so just, they're doing acts absolutely the opposite of what Jesus said. Chapter five, verse four. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Several things in here. Again, the word behold is in there, meaning uh, see, look. Drawing once again. Look, it's right here. The, the conclusion right here, behold. And it says, the wages of the laborers who mowed. So these laborers are harvesting. Uh, during harvest season, they're out harvesting the fields. They're mowing the fields. And it says, uh, you've kept back by fraud. The money has been kept by the wealthy. They've kept the money. They've kept it back. Uh, and it can include fraud. And what they're going to be doing, uh, several things are happening here that could be, as we put this together, is, and we'll look at some words, is they're intentionally abusing these people. They've, they've got a purpose of what they're doing. Uh, it's, it's fraudulent. They're being abused. And they have no, it's going to say, they, they have no repercussion. The poor have nothing they can do. They, they, have, they can't respond in any way. They can't say, they can't call, you know, uh, HR. You know, they can't, you know, call a lawyer. It's just like, this is the way it is. And then the, here comes the two cries. Uh, you have kept back the, by fraud, the wages are crying out against you. So the wages are crying out. How do you spell crying out? I can't figure that out. And uh, uh, the cries of the harvesters. The harvesters, the workers. And they're crying out. They've reached the ears. And the, we say reached the ears of God. But they're going to have reached the ears right here. And this is, this is devastating when you put this in perspective. They've reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is <clears throat> the Lord of armies. And the armies are the heavenly armies. It's the Lord of hosts that David, when he was trash-talking with uh, Goliath, Goliath is saying, you know, fee-fi-fo-fum, whatever. David says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and, and a javelin. He says, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the armies, in other words, you're facing a little guy like me, but with me is the entire armies of the Lord being directed by the Lord. And so the, the harvesters are, be, are working, but they're not getting their money. And this evidence that the wages are still with the rich, the harvesters are over here without any money. So there's two things testifying against the, the rich. <clears throat> the wages that they've got hot, piled up over here, it's like, wait, what are these doing here? These belong over here. So the very fact that you still have the money in your pocket is a testimony against the rich. Meanwhile, over here, the harvester is saying, 
we have we have we have no don't know where to turn. We have nowhere to go. They're oppressed, and it's reached the ears. I mean, it's reached heaven. Meaning, God is going to. The, the idea here is God is now going to take action. He's going to. It's often combined with the idea of He remembers in the Old Testament. When He remembers, He He doesn't like. Oh, I forgot. But He's now going to reengage the situation, and the Lord of Armies is going to be coming in defense of these poor workers that have nothing. Now they've got. You may have the court systems. You may have confiscated all the land. But now the Lord of the armies of heaven are coming against you, and uh, there's not going to be much you can do. And here's, I, in fact, there's nothing. Uh, point number three, the two things you're crying out are the wages and the cries of the harvesters. The laborers or the harvesters are the poor who need paid at the end of each week. I've got several things here. Uh, they need to have these wages to buy their food, buy their clothing, buy their shelter. It's not like in, in my world where I get paid once a month, and then you have, you have to have a budget. They live day to day. We live, you could say, paycheck to paycheck. They lived day to day. Meaning if for some reason the people that are paying me my, my monthly salary, if, if they didn't pay me, I would be, uh, I'd be in trouble. There's a one time, <coughs> one time, a long time ago, <coughs> we were 40 years ago, one of us, had the check to deposit in the bank and for some reason it, it didn't get put into the bank and then all and they wrote all the checks for all the bills and the, for some reason the deposit was still in someone's purse and uh and then they wrote all the bills and sent them all out and then every every check for every bill that month bounced with a it was like a two thousand dollar penalty what was it like it was, yeah, it seemed like $2,000. I mean, back in the day, it could have been. It was like, you know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks a check. But, you know, and it all bounced. And we didn't have, and all, it's like, and so then the person realized what had happened. And they were crying and crying and crying because we, we had, you know, very little money. And now everything bounced. Now we owe more money. Went to the bank. And the, the bank, the, the, cl the clerk at the bank, and they're, they're, it's safe to say the story now because it's a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. And uh, the lady says, she says, oh, she says, it's my last day. I'll just cancel all these. And they let all the checks go through, cancel all the overdrafts. But it, it, the point being, the, uh, the branch was closing. But the point being, we live paycheck to paycheck. And if you don't have that paycheck, we're going we're gonna to wait. We're not going to pay you this month. We'll maybe catch up later. So I just show up for work. It's like, we'd be devastated. Well, that's the way these people were. Every day, I would need my money every day to pay for food, shelter, clothing, or and take care of my family. Well, now by not having this, I mean they were going to say we're going to say murdered. You've murdered them, and that is the I, I, I got. I'm running out of time. We got to pick this up next week. But the ideal is by keeping this money back, you were killing them, literally, because they have no food. They're 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 homeless now. They're they have no food, and they've got a family, and it wasn't just one day. And here's the uh, references at the bottom of page 5. I'll read this. This is the Old Testament law. One of the things the Old Testament law was good at, and it's interesting, is the poor were always considered. It was, it was, they're trying to set up a, a cultural structure so that you, could, the, you would always have the poor with you, but the poor were always had a way to recover. And here it is. Uh, to neglect their daily needs was to deny them life, Point C, the Old Testament law and prophets spoke to this issue. 
Leviticus 19.13, one of the laws. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Okay, that makes sense. Don't oppress your neighbor or rob him. And then it says, The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, at the end of the day, if they worked in your field, you pay them their money. You don't say, okay, you worked all day, you earned whatever, and then keep it overnight because they need it. They're working not to have a career. They're working for that money to buy food. Deuteronomy 24, 15. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. That's Deuteronomy 24, 15. James, this whole chapter is Deuteronomy 24, verse 15, being violated. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. But instead he's poor and he's counting on it, but you're not paying him because he's poor. And what is he going to do? What are you going to do if I don't pay you? Who are you going to tell? You have no lawyer. You have no benefits. I'll just, only thing holding me back is the law of Moses. And what's that? I'll just keep it. It says, but here, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. So what the, 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 guy, the worker's only option is to pray, cry out to the Lord. And the Lord of hosts has heard that James saying, and so look out, start weeping and wailing. Jeremiah 22, verse 13 Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness. How do you build your house by unrighteousness? And his upper rooms by injustice. How do you build your upper rooms by injustice? Who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages? Who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms and you don't pay anybody. And Matthew 20, verse 88, in one of Jesus' parables, we see this taking place. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So even in Jesus' parable, they were still doing it. At the end of the day, everyone would line up, and they would receive their daily wages. we got to pick this up. They've kept it by fraud, which goes through a variety of situations there. So we'll have to pick this up and continue with this next week. That is the situation. And again, I think this is, this is the heart of the book of James right here. This is what was going on since chapter 1. There's the congregation, and this congregation is being tempted to fight back against this in some way, verbally or physically, or maybe trying to copy and emulate this lifestyle. And there are people in the church or the congregation preaching, we need to retaliate. Preaching, we're going to speak, speaking against these people. Or having some kind of, you know, a prosperity now message is here's how you go out and make these plans. Here's the four steps of becoming prosperous like these guys. It's like James is saying, that is not the way we do things. Uh, we're waiting for the Lord of hosts. Something bigger, we consider those blessed who can endure. We don't consider them blessed who can copy the world. We don't consider you blessed if you go out and burn down their fields. We consider you blessed if you can be poor and you can endure Keep doing what's right, pray to God, trust God, and whatever happens, happens because this is already passing away. The wealth of the riches is passing away, and your poverty is passing away. Keep doing what is right. And so that's what James is kind of getting at here in the whole book. And again, he's getting very harsh right here with the rich and very, in a sense, prophetic in, in the Old Testament prophet 
uh, calling down judgment on these people, but also providing encouragement. I'll pray, and we are done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would be the people you've called us to be, that we take these things to heart, that we would learn how to endure, how to trust you, how to uh, value the things of our life, and turn them into things of eternal value. Again, we do thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to renew our mind, and walk in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.